0: Well, welcome back to this podcast, A Man Challenge. I'm joined with Brett and with Michael. Guy, say hello. Good to see you. Hey. And today, we're talking about one of the qualities of being a person that, that, that you know, really addresses the heart of a leader. And, uh, I, you know, I know as you hear that word, if you're like me, I hear leader and I feel like it's overused. But let's be honest, we lead ourselves. We have influence of other people. There's just not a better word that I can think of. We all lead in some way, shape or form. And a leader who's a good, authentic leader leads from the heart. And, uh, and so the, the kind of the attribute that we're going to talk about this, uh, this podcast is what does it mean to be immersed in God? One of the last Man Challenge podcasts we talked about being dedicated to something. And Ezra was a dedicated man. And today we're going to talk about what's it mean to be immersed in your relationship with God. And uh, just to sort of kick us off, um, the negative side of immersed is a word called obsessed. That's the word that we use sometimes when we want to communicate a person has a problem. So I'm just curious, guys, what is something that past or present you would willingly ad- admit to having as An obsession?
1: I'll go first. Uh, My obsession is college football. Every time college football season comes around, uh, I will spend an entire Saturday from 10 a.m. all the way until the late game at 10 o'clock at night watching college football. In other words,
0: you would watch like Central Michigan play like West Virginia? Absolutely. I didn't even know. And I wouldn't even tell you,
1: I couldn't even tell you who the coaches were. It was just. I don't even know funny. if West Virginia has a college, to be <laughs> honest.
0: No offense if you're from West Virginia.
2: And, I, you know, I kind of think about some of it's just the, the reflective nature of the knowledge that you've collected about things is what's going to show you if you're immersed or obsessed with it. And there's a couple different times in my life where, you know, gear obsession or the knowledge about something has really revealed my own personal obsession um, before now it was mountain bikes and so I could tell you about the derailers, I could tell you about the chains I could tell you about the brake setup and all that kind of stuff and what new things were coming out uh, and what I was looking forward to and the magazines I would look at now for me honestly it's um, it's rock climbing gear and stuff and so you know the the new the new ascenders or descenders of what you're looking at are the shoes and whether the last is slip um, blasted or if it's a flat last i mean all that kind of stuff and it's not like i i I try to do it it just kind of seeps in and and you think about that hidden knowledge that you have behind you're like maybe i'm obsessed with this you're using
0: even insider jargon you just used (laughs) a bunch of terms for bikes as well as for mountain climbing gear that i didn't even know were real terms they might not even be real terms you might have been making them up but we wouldn't know at least i wouldn't know Yeah, I you know for many years um, I collected military memorabilia from the Second World War. Going, this is like about twenty five years ago I started collecting it, and I it truly genuinely became an obsession. I spent way too much money on it, and I could tell you fabric patterns and wool olive drab shades to just about everything the U.S. Army wore during the Second World War. I can't tell you about fabric that's current, but I can tell you about 75-year-old fabric. <laughs> it was an obsession, and my wife, she almost had me committed. And yeah, to be yeah. honest, she had a point. I was obsessed. So right. it's funny how we're all into something. You know, if, it, if we're into it, it doesn't seem all that bad. The people around us are the judges of
2: whether it's um, helpful or just plain weird. Well, you can tell them the eye roll of your wife or the people that are close mm-hmm. to you is so when you get started on it, it, it's how far back in their head it goes oh. is how much you've been talking about it.
0: Hey, that is so, so true. I'm sure that as you're listening right now to this podcast, you're thinking of what you have. That's quite a reasonable interest that other people might label as an obsession. Well, today we're going to talk about a guy who I don't know if I'd say he's obsessed. He's certainly immersed in God, like his hobby, his Fascination, his interests, his profession, his free time is all wrapped up in God. His name's Joshua, and we come into contact with him first in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. He's a guy who grew up in Egypt in slavery, uh, started to really show incredible bravery and leadership potential from the first kind of outing that we see of him in the book of Exodus. He's probably in his 30s or 40s, even though he's called a young man. He's probably only called a young man in the book of Exodus because Moses, his uh, mentor's 80. So if you've ever had a friend who's in his 80s, he calls any guy from the 50s on downward a young man because he is in comparison. And so Joshua's boss, Moses, is very, very close to God, which is a great opportunity for Joshua. And uh, in Exodus 33, we read this about Moses and pay attention because at the tail end, Joshua makes an appearance. It says, now Moses used to Take a tent and pitch it outside of the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. And anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance of their tents watching Moses until he entered the tent. In other words, it was like a big parade, procession, Moses is going to go inquire of God of something. And the people were fascinated, so they didn't have anything else to do. There were no Netflix shows to binge, like people taking a stroll to the temple meeting. That was the big entertainment for the day. And so as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay over the entrance. I'd line up to see that too. And uh, the Lord spoke with Moses Whenever the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance to their tent. And this is interesting, verse 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to us uh, as a friend. In other words, it was just this intimate bond Moses had with God. Then Moses would return to the camp. Now here's the thing. This is, don't lose this. Then Moses would return to the camp. He did his bit. He had his prayer time with God. And it says this, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. And so when I first read that many, many, many years ago, my first thought was, what is he doing in the tent?
2: What do you suppose he's doing in that tent? You know, and, and this is all speculation because there's really no hard, concrete evidence uh, fr- from the Bible. And so scholars kind of speculate on this, and there's a really wide array. Um, I'd like to think that Joshua's in the tent um, getting to know God um, and, and getting to spend a little extra time kind of as you would if you had a mentor uh, after a meeting. You could kind of go through and get some additional knowledge. Um, and so, you know, he's, he's utilizing that time to really get closer to God. There's another one, too, as you think about their, their you know, meeting face-to-face. And so as, as Moses would meet face-to-face with God, he would shine with God's glory. And it I kind of I think it was, it was Shekinah, Shekinah glory. glory. Yeah. Shekinah. So he had the Shekinah glory, and so you kind of wonder too. Well, this is just another just another idea. You know, I guess there's no wrong ideas. Maybe there's no stupid ideas unless you listen we'll to this We'll be the one. judge of that. Yeah. Go for it. So what if Joshua had a problem where he had to get up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom and he couldn't see? So maybe he stuck around and got a little extra Shekinah glory <laughs> so he could find his way to the restroom in the middle of the night. I mean... Uh, you know,
0: I've not read that in any of the Scholastic works. Yeah. But honestly, some of the things I've read are as sensible as that. Honestly, that that you could I think that's PhD material yeah. speculation. So if you're right looking there. to
2: write a dissertation, you yeah. can go ahead and just run with that one. Yeah. That's for free. He has to get
0: up in the middle of the night and it would really help if he's just all aglow. That's absolutely brilliant. There's no bad ideas except when there are bad ideas. anyhow so here's the thing they don't really tell us what he's doing in there I mean some say he's doing guard duty which is probable or possible but but he's in this tent. I mean this is a special special place he's maybe he is glowing. I mean this is really remarkable and I wish these are those parts in the Bible that I wish we could we could drill into and we could ask questions and find out is he, having a conversation with God. What's he talking about? Is he talking to God about who he should marry or what he should name his kids or like how to best fight in a battle or what, you know, we don't have that. But this is where it's helpful. We have other parts of the Bible. And uh, there's a Psalm, Psalm 105, that uh, just the first few verses give us a little snapshot of the type of person who's, who's immersed in God. And I think it's helpful. Now, just to be clear, Joshua did not write Psalm 105. There's no one who ever has speculated to my knowledge that Joshua wrote Psalm 105. Psalm 105 was not written with Joshua in mind. But what Psalm 105 really encapsulates, at least the first five verses, is a person that you could say is obsessed with God, or they're at least very immersed in their relationship with God. And um, and so let me just read these first five verses. And then we're going to talk about five really different characteristics or qualities that I think we see here. This is Psalm 105. The psalmist starts out, he says, Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make make known among the nations what he's done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he pronounced. And so I already said we're going to have like five characteristics we're going to look at and then we're going to go back and talk about them. So let me just list them off and then we'll go back one by one. Uh, Characteristic one is tell others about God. Characteristic two is worship God. Characteristic three is honor God. Characteristic four is seek God. And then five is commemorate God. So let me back up. And, you know, at the beginning of the psalm, it says, give praise the Lord, proclaim his name. And really, the, the Hebrew word there, it the Hebrew sentence reads backwards. It starts out with testify or tell. Tell others about God. Tell others what God has done. So here's the question, guys. How does telling other people about God help you immerse yourself in God, experience God in a new way?
1: I think about a a time whenever I was uh, uh, in the corporate world and one of the departments I worked in uh, were several uh, atheists and they were proclaimed atheists, they would tell you and almost on a daily basis they would come and challenge me on why I believe what I believe and you know and, and I think this kind of dovetails with that is I wasn't able to, and this was years ago, but I wasn't at that time able to really articulate or tell them exactly why I believe in Jesus. And so it, it it challenged me to dive deeper into the Word. It challenged me to do more research and and check myself why I believe in God. Why do I believe that Jesus is the Son of God?
2: I think there's something else that just, you know, you, there's things you believe inside your heart, inside your mind, inside your body, you know. Um, but there's another way that when you say it out loud, it kind of reinforces. And sometimes you can even hear yourself say something You're like, maybe I don't understand that very well. Or maybe that sounds a little weird but maybe I need to go and back and kind of refine some of that knowledge Um, and so as you kind of start to proclaim number one it helps you you know refine what what it is you believe personally Um, The other thing is, is it just really helps you experience it. Um, And so there, there is that active thing of moving inside of the knowledge that's inside of you. It becomes active when you say it out loud, and then it even preaches back to yourself. So you hear it, something that's inside of you that gets refined and then continues to build up. And so it's really beneficial to yourself as it is to others as they're hearing it. And so it's kind of a twofold thing. And so when you say it out loud, it's really for everybody that can hear it, which includes yourself. It's so interesting how something
0: broadcasting helps us internally, is we're expressing outward. There's something that's happening inward that we're experiencing God in a different way. And I think that, I love that the psalmist starts with this because that's that's usually the last thing on our list and, and sometimes it's never even on our list. Like, hey, if I want to really experience God, if I want to be fully immersed in Him, I have to talk about Him to other people. And, uh, and so that, what a great place to start. The second uh, characteristic is to worship God publicly and privately. And he says, you know, sing to Him, sing praise to Him, tell all of His wonderful acts. And, uh, and I, you know, for some of us, we're not musically oriented people. We, li- we might like to hear music but how does worship help you experience God? Maybe how has it helped you personally or how have you seen it shape the spiritual lives
2: of other people? Well, I think about on Sunday mornings um, in when I'm in worship and I have my arms folded and I'm just standing there staring. Um, what is inside my heart is not able to be experienced without without doing that. And there's a lot of people that sometimes um, just being there for worship is as much as you can engage. But I will just urge you to to go ahead and do that. Just to just to allow yourself. It's that physical nature of experiencing. Worship um, to to be able to sing out loud, and I grew up going to um, the the men's conference. Um, if you remember Promise Keepers, sure. there was just something about not just um, you know just just being there with a bunch of guys that that deep roar of men, and I always think about it. It's like I look over at my dad; he never sang whenever we were in church, but at Promise Keepers, man, he would belt it out and maybe wasn't the most accurate singing and worship um, as far as hitting notes Mm -hmm. and those kinds of things but man i I still remember those times and i I would just urge you that whether you're in worship whether you're you're in alone is to to really engage in that active worship um, because doing the actions really enforces again what we believe inside um, and that that allows us to participate
1: Oh, well, that's great. Um, when I think about worship, I think about uh, much like Michael was just saying. You know, you know, a lot of times um, I'm not a uh, the best singer in the family. Actually, everyone else in my family sings way better than I do. And so, but whenever we are in worship together as a family, uh, it's really hard for me uh, to to be able to sing without tears coming up. Uh, one of joy for looking at my, my kids who are, you know, worshiping God um, and my wife. And, it's, and it just um, it just brings my heart so much joy that uh, they're, they're worshiping the same God that I, I am and that um, I can just see their love and their um, authenticity uh, throughout it. And so, it, which makes me, um, you know, have a fuller heart and, and, and experience God in a, in a deeper way.
0: You know, I agree. I think that, uh, Brett, like you, I I uh, don't sing very well at all. I've been told since I was a kid, uh, and I've been surrounded by very musical people, but I do some awesome worship alone in my car. That's when I'll like put on a worship uh, album or something, and I'll belt it out in the car. Then I have incredible gifts, and no one is there to be perturbed by my singing. But But in fact, I think sometimes... The worship in private can be more sincere because because you can in public sort of go with the flow and there's a benefit to that, too. So I'm not knocking the public worship, but I think for the guys listening who are like, I am just not a public worship guy, I'm scared of being expressive. I'm not comfortable with my masculinity or it's just not my personality or I don't sing very well, but you can enjoy what's happening around you. And then you can have that private time as you're driving down the road. It's You know what? After a while, you get tired of listening to old Led Zeppelin or whoever it is you listen to, Barry Manilow, whatever it is. Absolutely After a while, you just get absolutely exhausted of that. But I can, I can actually play the same, some of the same worship songs over and over again and get something new out of them. All right, let me move on to the next uh, characteristic. This is to honor God with your whole self. What, uh, what he says is, um, you know, glory in his holy name. So in other words, your uh, glory and honor have this like symbiotic uh, language relationship is that you're 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 finding this like incredible meaning and purpose in God's holy name. And uh, and so this is this idea of honoring God with your whole self being fully wrapped up in him. How does this one also help advance being immersed or surrounded in God?
2: I think that um, there's so many things that we do that don't seem sacred. Uh, you get up and you can go to work every single day, and it can kind of just be this monotony um, of of well, this is this is my this is my work life, or this is the what I do to to relax, and this is my church life. You kind of we're really good at compartmentalizing and segmenting the, the different things that we do, but if you think about I want my whole self of whatever I do, I'm engaged in worshiping God. And I've heard someone say, everything is spiritual. And you can maybe take that too far. But if you take it in the concept that everything is spiritual, is that writing your TPS report as unto God is giving your whole self. So the work self of what you're doing. Mm. That TPS report could be a spiritual act of worship um, the Lord because you're giving your best of what you're doing. Um, and the same thing is that you're, you're, whatever your your hobby is, whatever things you're, you're deer hunting, for instance, mm-hmm. you're in nature. Well, you can be sitting out there waiting for those deer to come through on your crosshairs. You can be worshiping and thinking about the, the creator of all the things that you're around. And so I think that, that there's a lot of different things that we can do. We can miss those act of worship. So if we're putting our whole self into whatever it is that we're doing— Recognizing that the blessings that we have, that the creation, that the skills and talents and more we have, that it comes from all God. Mm-hmm. He is the creator of everything that we see, think, hear, smell, taste. He is the creator of all and deserves that worship. And so, giving your whole self in all of those areas of life, recognizing that those are from God um, is, a, is a great way, to, kind of how I think about doing it. It's very Colossians 3. You know, Paul would say, you know, as you work, work is unto the Lord
0: is in, in even when you're filling out those reports, I can honor God in the quality and in the integrity of the reports. Brett, what would you add to that?
1: I cannot add anything. <laughs> <laughs> Michael knocked it out of the park. That's an awesome answer. That's pretty comprehensive,
0: Michael. Good job, good job. All right, uh, and then the next one is to seek continually. Seek God continually, uh, you know, regularly, daily, weekly, in a disciplined way. He says, um, look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face Always, you know, not just on Sunday, not just when I'm meeting with my small group, but continually, always seeking God. Brett, what are your thoughts on that? How do you? How do you? How does that help you in this uh, this being
1: immersed in God? I think seeking God continually can be as uh, as in depth or as uh, light hearted as you want it to be, um, and what I really mean by that is, you know. When you wake up in the morning, you can you can read your Bible, right? You can you can be praying, <clears throat> mm-hmm. but throughout the day, as you're driving, right? Mm-hmm. As you're as you're listening to worship music, right? You can be saying little prayers or little you know thanksgivings. You know you know you're thanking God for you know different things that he's he's blessed you with, or or um, you know just just throughout the entire day, it doesn't have to be um, set times. That you're, you know, just seeking God continually throughout the day, every day. Um, scripture, prayers, worship.
0: Good. I love it. I love it. You know, um, the last one he cal- he culminates with, this is verse 5, is, uh, and what I would say is this is commemorating God, is um, he says, <clears throat> verse 5, Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and judgments he pronounced. So that idea of remember Um, There's an old Hebrew word, an Ebenezer. It's a a stone of remembrance. Uh, Most of us in the English language think of Ebenezer Scrooge. And uh, it's ironic that Ebenezer is this, you know, stone of Thanksgiving or stone of remembrance for God's provision. And Ebenezer Scrooge is, he eventually becomes that, but he doesn't live up to his name until the end. So that's lost on most English speakers. They, that name was chosen by Charles Dickens with great meaning, not just because it sounded old and weird, but it actually conveyed something. And uh, anyhow, here's the question. How do you, in your lives, I'd love to hear from both of you, how do you set up remembrances of what God has done for you? You know, what are, what are the, in other words, what are the maybe the visual cues that you bump into that just remind you, God is good, God is a provider, God is a savior. What, what are the things that wrap around your life that you've set up as a, as a, as a stone of remembrance, if you will?
2: So we talked a little bit um, about this, and it, it, those stones are so helpful when you're going through those trying times because it kind of feel like God's not there or not not doing things. And so we kind of go back and try to identify those stones. Um, and, and what I love about the stones' idea is the fact that they're heavy, they're visual. You can kind of, you can kind of look at those on a regular basis. Um, so we have some friends, and this isn't something that we do personally. We have some friends that literally take a stone, and on a momentous occasion where, where God was just really, really easily identifiably active, they would actually write the date and maybe something of, of what's, what's on or what, what happened or a word or whatever it was. And so for instance, um, the kids, they would, their birthday, the day of their birth, they would write the, the date and the name or um, uh, the the major provision that God gave. And so they could write those things down on stones, and they would leave them on their dining room table. And it's kind of funny, because it's not going to be something that's going to be rolled like a fabric basket or something real frilly. Mm-hmm. It's going to have to be, because those are stones and they're heavy, it's going to have to be something substantial. And every night at dinner, they would actually go out and they would... To sift through and find one of those stones and pull it out, and they would remember those things. And so I think it's it's kind of an interesting idea to, to do that. and It's something that we've always talked about in our own family. We should do that. We don't actually do it. But, <laughs> it's a good um, idea. It's a good idea. It, it allows Someone you, listening one, <laughs> go, is going to do that. You know it. So go get some nail polish and some stones and write on there. But it, it does two things. It allows you to go back and you can see God's provision and his activity in your life on a timeline and a basis for you to go back through and as those your life progresses obviously that basket's going to get fuller and fuller and fuller. Mm-hmm. The other part is, is it keeps you on the lookout for God in his activity in your life. And so you're you're not only looking back, you're looking in the present right now is what is God doing currently in my life to be able to recognize his activity in a major way? Because God's always active mm-hmm. in our life. It's The question is do we notice it or not? And when you really notice it,
1: man, write it down on one of those rocks and put it in the basket. Right. No, it's a, a similar idea that, uh, you know, we have this uh, glass bowl on our uh, kitchen table usually, and uh, we always have the best intentions to to write down, you know, uh, either a prayer request or how we've seen God move in our family and how he answered those prayers. And, you know, we're not as good as we we hope to be as far as putting those in there, but it's always good to be able to look at at the end of the year and mm-hmm. pull those out and, you know, hey, We might have already forgotten about this, but do you remember this trial that we went through as a family, right? Just much like you were saying with the big stones. And um, I actually was uh, in a class one time with another pastor, and what he had been doing uh, since him and his wife had got together was he had started journaling in a notebook, right, about prayers over his kids at the time he did not have. And on their wedding day, he hands them the journal and says here I want you to read this this is what i've been praying over you and wow. what i've been asking throughout yeah. your entire life
0: so. what a what a, i mean that i love the intentionality of both these things it's either whether it's stones that uh, that set out or a uh, prayer request in a bowl or taking a journal like that there's so many there there really is no wrong way to do it and i think the key is is what works for each individual to help cue them and remind them of what God has done to provide for them or how God has moved in their life, whether it's an, a, a literal object or whether it's some sort of more metaphorical thing, whether it's written down and details are described or, or uh, you know, I think this is why even even uh, Deuteronomy 6 will, you know, talk about writing these things on the doorpost of your, of your um, house and carrying around. I mean, I think that's why some people wear a cross around their neck or decorate their home with a cross or with a Bible verse on a plaque or something. It's just ways to just keep it in front of us. Because what happens, I don't know, I I think most of us have the same thing happen, which is you get wrapped up in the pressures of life, in the stuff of life, in the worries of life. It's just inevitable. In fact, Jesus warned against getting kind of entangled with those things Mm -hmm. so if we keep ourselves immersed in God it's inevitable we're going to bump into stress we're going to we're going to constantly have the visuals of what we wish we had we're constantly going to be dealing with you know stresses and temptations the question is what do we do with all this and uh, that's what I love about Joshua Joshua did not live a stress free life he was a warrior chieftain of sorts he led men into battle he was a a basically what we would call a government or political leader, a spiritual leader to people. And uh, and so his world had to be constantly stressful. And maybe, maybe that's why he was constantly in that tent. I don't know. I don't know about you guys. But when I'm under stressful situations, I, I don't feel like I can read the Bible enough and pray enough. Yeah, right. Even my friends who are like only modestly interested in religious stuff, all of a sudden they get religion As soon as they get laid off or when there's an economic downturn or some health crisis, all of a sudden they find God really, really quickly. And uh, better yet, let's stay with God in
2: the ongoing so that when the inevitable of those things happen, What you think about Joshua is um, he had to go into battle with musical instruments. Right. And you think about the level of trust that it would have to Hmm. take. You're going to have to have a long line of those Ebenezer stones to to be able to be like, okay, this is a good idea. (laughs) We will Hmm. march around the city. We will take those musical instruments, and we're going to trust you. Yeah,
0: back then I'd rather have armor, spears, (laughs) Swords. Yeah. And he went in with a trombone, I think, <laughs> <laughs> and God.
2: Yeah. Well, and and it's almost like if you're if you're preparing for a long journey or a long, um, and you start to see you know the only the end and how far you have to go or some of the obstacles that you have to place on it. It's really nice to have um, some waypoints to look back to on that map to say we made it this far. We can still keep going, and it's that it's that daily journey of moving. A little bit every single day can add up to a long, long life of faithful dedication to God.
0: I love it. Hey, uh, thanks for joining us on this podcast, Brett, Michael. Thanks for being part of it today.
2: I'm glad to be here. Yeah, hope, hopefully this is helpful for you guys, and thanks for joining us.
0: All right, that's going to be the last word.
1: See you next time.